0: Who's been enjoying going through Romans 12? Yeah, it's been pretty amazing, I have to say so myself. It's been pretty incredible. It's the first time we've ever tried anything like this, going bit by bit through a chapter of the Bible. But I've just been so blessed by what people have been sharing and the amazing uh, insight that we've received about God's Word. And I, for me, I'll say for me personally, and I hope for many people here, That it's even been transformative in my life hearing it like Julie you know Julie complained that I only gave her one verse last week but how good was it when she picked it apart and talked about hospitality and explained and looked deeper into it and actually gave us some real meat to grab a hold of isn't that right so it was it was really cool so although today I am going to do two verses so uh, so I'm the boss so I get to choose Uh, But the two verses we're looking at today are verses 14 and 15. And all of a sudden, uh, for me, as I read this, it's sort of like the heat got turned up a little bit. Who's ready for the heat to be turned up? Yeah, you ready? All right, let's let's read it together. (laughs) You're not sure, not sure. Yeah, no. (laughs) I love the honesty because when I read it, I wasn't sure either. But it says in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let's read it from the Amplified now. It says, Bless those who persecute persecute you, who cause you harm and hardship. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy. And weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. And then the J.B. Phillips version says, And as for those who try to make your life a misery, anyone got people like that in your life? What are we to do with them? Well, it says, Bless them. Don't curse, bless. Share the happiness of those who are happy and the sorrow. Of those who are sad. Now, when I when I read verse fourteen, I'm like, God, what are you saying to us? Like this idea that, like honestly, God, you you are asking us to bless those who are making our life a misery. This is what you're asking us to do. It's like I thought you were a loving God. I thought you were a God who wanted the best for us. But now you're asking us to bless people who are literally tormenting us and doing us harm. And, uh, and so I was praying and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, what, what are you saying to us? What are, you, what are you wanting to get through to us here? And, uh, and all he did was remind me of another time when Jesus taught us when he was here on earth in, in Luke. Oops, wrong one. Oh, I haven't got it there. Sorry. In, in Luke 6 verse 28, Jesus said these words, please. He said these words, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So even before Romans 12 was written, Jesus was already preaching this type of sermon. And so I, about... Not last, not last Friday, but the Friday before, I was just praying and saying, God, what is it that you want to teach us from this concept, from this, this passage, from this command? And as I was praying, I felt the Holy Spirit just drop in my heart a little thought. And he said, remember the context this command is written. And all of a sudden, the penny dropped for me because when we talk about context, when you're taught about preaching and, and studying the Word of God... Context is all about not just taking one verse and building a doctrine out of one verse, but reading the context in which it was written. So reading the passages before and the passages after. And really interestingly, I went back to verse 1 of chapter 12 and I actually didn't get past it because as I read verse 1, the penny dropped for me. So I want us to read verse 1 again. And, uh, and I'll explain what I'm saying here. Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In verse 1, this is what God is compelling us to do. And as Eugene Peterson explains, a sacrifice is an offering placed before the Lord so that he can make something of it. I'll say that again. A sacrifice is an offering placed before the Lord so that he can make something from it. And so as I read that passage that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice all of a sudden i realize that the whole context of what this chapter is written is from this idea of surrender remember a sacrifice is something that is surrendered a sacrifice is something that is laid on the altar in other words it is something that is voluntarily placed on the altar To be used by the person you have sacrificed it to for whatever they please. Think it, I'll say that again. When you sacrifice something, you lay it on the altar so it can be used by whom you're laying it down to or giving it to for whatever they please. That is what a sacrifice is. So you think about that. If we read verses 14 and 15 in that context, in the context of surrender, that our lives are to be surrendered to God, to be used as he would be pleased, then this passage begins to make sense. Now as God started to share this with me and started to reveal this to me, this idea of surrender, I prayed and I said, God, if this is what you want me to share with the church, please confirm it to me. Confirm that you want me to share about surrender and the importance of surrender. And I came to church last Sunday morning and Judy was running our pre-service prayer meeting, which was awesome. And if you don't come along, 9.15 every Sunday we have a a short prayer meeting just to get ourselves ready for church. And everyone's welcome. So if, you, if you're up that early and you want to come along, come and join us. But Ju- Judy shared about the topic of surrender. And I'm going to ask her to come and share right now what she shared last week because it confirmed to me that God is speaking to us as a church right now and wants to share with us about surrender. Hi.
1: Morning. Um, <clears throat> so not last Saturday, Saturday before, I went and had a full body massage at of Spa, just a free plug, um, courtesy of my husband. So as I went in, I laid on the table and the young girl came in and she was just talking to me and she said to me, um, "Oh, would you like to choose an oil? So I'm like, mm, okay, so she's given me to smell all these oils. Anyway, I chose one and she said, oh, you've chosen calm and I was like, Hmm, that's probably perfect. So um, she's she's got this uh, calm oil under my nose as I'm laying on the bed and I'm like, okay, breathe it in, smell it out, all this stuff. Um, and not really thinking, just really just laying ready to just have this um, time of just stopping, you know. And as she started, she started down on my feet um, and... As she just started massaging my feet, I just felt like I, felt like I had this thought come to me that um, you're surrendering to somebody you don't even know. And I'm like, yes, but she's a massage therapist. So I'm having this conversation with myself kind of. And then I felt like it was oh, the Holy Spirit. And he said to me that as you surrender to somebody you don't even know, how much more will you surrender to me? Um, And how much more will I do for you than just an hour and a half? I felt really challenged by that. I've been challenged all week with this because Ben rang me and I'm like, yeah, sure, no worries. But all week I felt like God just continuing to just stir even more so than ever in me that whole thing about what it means to surrender. But anyway, as she's massaging me, she's massaging my legs and I'm, I'm like, God, I, I surrender. I just give it all to you, everything. But as I let go, I felt like there was these words coming to my mind like anxiety and fear, disappointment, discouragement. All of those things just started. I wasn't speaking them out loudly, but in my spirit I could feel these words just kept coming out more and more and more. And, and I'm like, wow. I was almost like in shock <laughs> as to what God was doing and not even aware of, of what was happening around me and and stuff like that. But just felt like God just kept saying to me, you just need to let go. You need to let go. And sometimes that's really hard for me. Sometimes I like to be in control. Um, sometimes I like to be able to work around what I feel I'm capable of doing but when God just kept saying to me there's so much more that is in you that needs to come out and if you don't surrender then you that's where you're going to stay and is that where you want to live your life. So I felt that whole challenge. Great, great massage it was. Um, and just feeling that whole time that God was constantly just at me, not because he doesn't love me, because he does love me. And so out of that, I felt that God just said to me, the more I let go, the more I surrender. And you know, I've been a Christian for some time now and just, but you know, I just thought about the love of God and how God loves us so much that he comes back and keeps coming back at us with love and grace and mercy to be able to go, just let let it go. Because we all get hurt. We all get discouraged. We all get disappointed. And God knows, but that's where we need to surrender. And just a quick scripture. In Galatians 2.20, this is the verse that God gave me. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.
0: Isn't that good? This is what I'm talking about. This is what I want us to understand is that God is wanting us to surrender to him. Not because he wants us to, he wants to take stuff away from us is because he wants to transform us into everything he created us to be. So let's dig deeper into this concept of surrender. Let's have a look at it because the Christian faith is built on this principle of surrender. And let me say this, it begins with God himself. You see, God created everything. He created the heavens, the earth, and then he created a garden. And in that garden, he created Adam and Eve. And you know what he did next? He surrendered everything to Adam and Eve. The Bible says he gave them dominion over all things. And we know the story, everything went pear-shaped. Everything went bad. But God was brave enough to surrender it all and entrust it to them. And the sad thing is that it all went bad, as Dan shared in communion. But that didn't mean God stopped surrendering. Because the next thing we learn is that God then surrendered his son, Jesus, to come to earth and become one of us. And we know Jesus is God, that is Father, Son and Holy Spirit and that Jesus came and surrendered himself. He surrendered his divinity. He laid it aside, the Bible teaches us. And he became a man like you and I. He became human like you and I. And then we learn that he also surrendered his very life on the cross. Why? So that we could have relationship with God again. So we could be restored, as Dan said, back into the image of God. We could become children of God again. And in that picture, we understand that for us to have a relationship with God, it requires us now to surrender ourselves to him. Now here's the good thing about surrender. Because often we think about surrender and we think about everything we have to give up. But the good thing about surrender is it's not an end, the Bible teaches us. It's just a beginning. You see, when the Garden of Eden went to mess and Adam and Eve sinned and, and the whole world fell into sin, it wasn't the end. It was just the beginning of the story. When Jesus came became a man and surrendered his life on the cross, it wasn't the end, it was just the beginning. Because in his sacrifice, he restored, redeemed, as Dan said, redeemed humankind to to God. And the truth is, when you surrender your life to God, it's not the end, it's just the beginning. You see, a person surrendering their life to God is where it all begins. Surrendering is how we are changed. Jesus taught it like this. He said, you must lose your life to gain your life. Isn't that right? That you must become like a seed that falls to the ground and it and falls, gets put in the soil and it dies to bring forth life. And this is the idea that God wants to teach us is, is that in giving our life, in surrendering our life, as Jude said, in letting go of your life is actually where you find life. This is the principle of the, the Christian faith. It starts with surrender, and it's only ever possible with surrender, and it's only ever possible if we surrender our whole lives to God as a living sacrifice, because it's only in His hands that he can really make something of our lives. Now often we think, you know we think about the early church and different things, And we look at the early church and how the day of Pentecost came and and we think of all the stuff that God gives us. He gives us gifts, the spiritual gifts and all this stuff. And we think that it's these things that change our lives. But you have to remember that in the early church, for something like 30 odd days, they met in the upper room and they prayed. They met in the upper room and they surrendered their life to God. And then the spiritual gifts came from an action of surrender. You look at look at it this way. Is that the gifts that God gives us. Are only the fruit of a life surrendered to him. Say that again. The gifts that God want to, wants to give us. Whether it's the gift of salvation. Whether it's the gifts of the spirit. Whatever they could be. Gifts of healing. Gifts of tongues. Gifts of of prophecy, all these gifts that he gives us, gifts of being a pastor or a prophet or all those sorts of things, they're only the fruit of a surrendered life. Let's look at this a bit deeper. I really love what Dan shared around communion because the truth is that God created us in his image. And as Dan said, from the time... Mankind fell in the Garden of Eden and sinned and, and everything went bad. From that time, God has had a plan to restore us back into his image. But for this to happen, it needs us to surrender every part of ourselves. I'll take you back to Romans 12.1. It says, you know, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you remember what I said about that is that we're to present. And as as Judy so powerfully showed in her testimony, is like I need to present every part of my life. So I need to present the good parts, the healthy parts, the functional parts. You know, all the stuff we like to show. You know, all the stuff we think we like to put on parade. But God also wants all the not so nice parts. He wants your anxieties. He wants your fears. Dare I say, he wants your lustful parts. He wants your angry parts. He wants your hateful parts. He wants all of you. He wants you to surrender everything on that altar. He wants to present your whole bodies, every part, even your hurt and offended parts. He wants you to lay them down on the altar because he knows That it's only in his hands that we can be restored back into the image of God. That we can be restored back to who he created us to be. Children of God. That we would be children of God. But it only happens in his hands and as we surrender to him. Let's never forget whose hands he's asking us to surrender to. It's the hands of God. As Dan described, the hands of love. The one who loves us. It's the hands of the one who created everything. The hands who picked up dust and breathed into it and created humankind. It's into these hands that he wants us to surrender our lives. How much more can he do with your life if you place it in his hand? The God who created everything. Now here's the challenge. There's always a challenge. Because as children of God, when we surrender our life to him, it says we become children of God. But as children of God, that means we must be willing to obey and trust God in every area of our lives. Tom Smales, a theologian, says that to try to be a child of God and evade the way of obedience is to distort the relationship with the Father to the point of dissolution and destruction. What is he saying? Well, to put it simply, it means that surrender must obey. I'll say that again. You can't surrender yourself and then pick yourself back up and say, I'll do it my way. You've got to leave it on the altar and let God do His work. Surrender must obey. And that means that without obedience... Let me say this. This is this is I'm just saying it straight. But surrender must obey because without obedience, there is no proof of relationship. Do you hear it? Without obedience, there is no proof of relationship with God. And so it's from this place of surrender that God says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When we read this from a place of surrender, from a place of obedience, from a place of being a child of God, we need to understand that what God is talking about is a principle of how his kingdom operates. That's why Jesus taught us, you know, love those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. But in this in this command there there is a flow of language and if you look at the original language it's it's like one goes to another. It's poetic. It's there's a flow that goes on where it, it's it's implying that this is not just a once-off command. So so it's not God saying so when Joyce persecute you Ben then you just got to bless her sorry to pick on you Joyce but you're just right in front of me but uh, not that you ever have so but if you know if Joyce is trying to make my life a misery then I need to bless her and but that's all only when Joyce does it no he's saying let your life be an example let your pattern of living, let the way you live life, let your lifestyle be one of blessing, not cursing. So this is a lifestyle, this is a, a habit of living. Now the problem we know is this is hard to do. And the truth is we cannot do it in our own strength. The only way this is possible is by surrendering ourselves to God, as Judy so beautifully Presented in the massage table. What a, like Maybe I should say, put yourself on God's massage table. Surrender yourself to him and let him do what only he can do. That's why he asks for a living sacrifice. Because what God is saying is, I want your life to be a sacrifice to me. I want every part of your day to be a sacrifice to me. I want every part of your day to be surrendered to me so that I can do in it what only I can do. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit could walk with us, that we would walk in the Holy Spirit, that we would walk with God and that he would show us how to live a surrendered way of living. That the Holy Spirit is always there with us to help us surrender to God and do what God is asking us to do. As I said a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals what Jesus has done for us. And there's a really powerful verse in Romans 8 which explains that the Holy Spirit not only reveals what Jesus has done for us, but it also he also introduces us to God as a father and everything we have in him. And I want to read it today because it's such a powerful passage uh, to understand that God has given us His Holy Spirit to help us live this life. They were not doing this alone, but when you surrender your life to God, He gives you the Holy Spirit to transform you and enable you to be a child of God. So it says here, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. What's that mean? You put your sinful nature on the altar to God, surrender it to Him, and give it to Him. And it says that you will live if you do that. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. You got that? God gives you his spirit when you surrender your life to him so that you can live as his children. And then it says this. I've underlined it because this is like a big, big moment. Now we call him Abba Father. Remember what Abba Father means? When we call, it's actually like it's, it's an Aramaic term. So here's Aramaic of the Week, Abba. It's like the, the idea is that it is a, a loving term, a, a personal term, a, a tender term that you would use to describe your parent or your, your dad or your mum, your type of thing. Like it, so it's in in my context, it would be like my my dad or my dearest father. My, like it's it's, a, it's a, a term that you only share together, an intimate term. For his spirit, the Holy Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are children of God. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. In that moment, it's talking about Jesus So if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. From what I understand, from my knowledge of the Bible and from reading different commentators, the suffering we share with Jesus is the the suffering of surrender and obedience. See, Jesus obeyed the Father and surrendered his life on the cross. And he was glorified, the Bible tells us. He rose again, came to new life, restored us back to God and was, now sits at the right hand of the Father. So the suffering that we need to share in is the suffering of surrender and obedience. That our life would be surrendered to God and that we would obey what he asks us to do. That the obedience to the Father is God calling us to surrender to his commands. In other words, we are called to live out his commands in our everyday lives as his children. In other words, that means we, allowed, we, we need to allow him, the Holy Spirit, to do his work in us and then let it flow into every part of our lives. But it starts with surrender, it begins with surrender. So from this place of surrender, what God is asking us to do in this passage is to bless those who persecute us. God is very clear. We need to bless, not curse. As we've already read in Romans 12, time and time again, it says, you know, hate evil, cling to what is good. And we're going to read it again through the passage. But this is the idea is that we need to respond to evil by doing good. The word bless here. Is a word in Greek called eulogio, which basically is the word we get eulogy from. So it simply means to speak well of someone. Have you ever heard someone get up at a funeral and say bad things about someone? I I haven't. I've been to a lot of funerals, I've done a lot of funerals. You know, some people go, you know, there were some parts of his life that might have been difficult, but you know, this, but at the end, it's about making sure you bless, you don't curse. So what, he, what the context of what Paul is talking into here is the the context of what the church was living at the time, and it is actually talking about when he's talking about those who persecute you, he's talking about the Roman authorities and the authorities in your life, and that, what God is saying is bless those who persecute you. So if you understand the Romans, you think our government is bad, the Roman government was the worst. They took pleasure in making the lives of the people that they ruled over miserable. You know, they literally would ration food. You couldn't go down to Coles in Israel and buy as much bread as you wanted. You were only allowed a certain amount of bread. And their logic behind it was that their plan was to keep the people weak. So they couldn't get strong enough to overthrow them. So this is the type of rule that the Christian church lived under. And so God was saying to them, so those who are persecuting you, don't curse them. Don't complain about them. Don't tell everyone how terrible they are. Actually bless them. Speak well of them. Now, God wasn't saying lie about them, but be grateful that if it wasn't for them, you might have some other, even more terrible ruler over you. So be grateful for what you have. Now, that's pretty challenging but this is the whole idea is that what God is wanting us to do as a church as Christians as children of God is to cling to good and hate evil and and in God's way of thinking we need to surrender ourselves to him and ask for him to give us the strength to do this the only way we can do this is by surrender it's hard and it's tough But who knows that anything of valuable is a road less travelled. Isn't that right? William Barclay says it like this. The Christian must meet persecution with a prayer for those who persecute them. Plato Plato had said that the good man will choose to suffer evil rather than to do evil. And it is always evil to hate. When the Christian is hurt and insulted and maltreated... He has the example of his master before him. For he, upon his cross, prayed for forgiveness for those who were killing him. This is our example. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he did not do himself. The second thing the passage asks us to do is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, that sounds easy, doesn't it? If something good happens, then celebrate it be happy about it but if we need to look a bit deeper into it because what god is asking us to is to surrender ourselves to put our lives on the altar so this is the idea of when something good happens to your brother or sister in christ don't go don't have that attitude well that's great for them but why isn't god doing that for me anyone had that thought ever Like, oh, they're getting blessed all the time. They got this, they got, oh, they got a new car. They got, oh, their kids are doing this. And oh, why isn't that, why isn't God doing that for me? Which is a common thing. That's human nature. But God says, no, lay your attitude and your feelings on the altar. In other words, be a living sacrifice and celebrate with them as if it was happening to you. Because if you're part of the body of Christ, the truth is, if someone else is blessed, then guess what? I'm blessed. If Brian wins the lottery and gets a million bucks, he's blessed. But the truth is, as the body of Christ, we are also blessed. Hopefully if he tithes on it, it's even (laughs) even better. But, But the reality is, If one person is blessed, then we are all blessed. As we say, if one benefits, we all benefit. So we need to lay down our feelings and our attitudes and our thoughts. Why isn't it happening to me? No, that goes on the altar and let God transform it. Let God make it into what He wants it to be and say, no, I'm going to celebrate because if they're blessed, I'm blessed. It's a change of attitude. The last one is weep with those who weep. This is a hard one because sometimes it's human nature that if we see someone weeping, someone in pain, someone in hurt, we want to fix their problem, don't we? We want to make their pain go away because we know how how difficult it is to be in pain. But in this moment, God says, I don't want you to take their pain away. I don't want you to fix their problem. But what I want you to do is weep with those who weep. I want you to just come alongside them and feel their pain. I want you to understand that their pain is your pain. When one part suffers, we all suffer. It means we need to surrender our need to fix their problem and choose to just love them where they're at to feel with them where they're at, to weep where they're at and let God heal what needs to be healed, to trust that He would do it. God's not asking us to fix people. God's asking us to love and support and be with them where they're at. If you, psychologists call this empathy, coming alongside and actually feeling what another person's feeling. Jesus called it, Walking in another man's shoes. Put yourself in another man's shoes and think about what they're experiencing. Now this, now we can easily do that when it's something that's happened to someone that's out of their control. You know, something happens that they get robbed or something bad happens, and we go, "Oh yeah, I can feel for them. I can stand alongside them because yeah, that's a terrible thing that's happened to them." But there's no difference between something that hasn't been any fault of their own to something that has been self inflicted. We are still called to weep with those who weep, even if their weeping is because of their own poor choices and mistakes. The reality is, God still wants us to weep with those who weep. So rather than be judgmental and think, well, it's their own fault that that's happened. They've fallen again. They've stumbled back into that old way of living again. God says, no, if they are weeping and they are sorry, and they are, then let's stand with them. Stand with them. Don't judge them. But understand, there go I but for the grace of God. This is what we're called to. We're called to bless those who persecute us. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we're called to weep with those who weep. But the key to us actually obeying these commands is surrender. That we would surrender our lives to God as a living sacrifice. Let me say this. The pathway to God's plan in your life is surrender. And I'll finish with this last verse. And this is... Just to close, for us to understand that God is only asking us to do what he was prepared to do. Because I think the greatest act of surrender in the Bible, and you bear with me on this, but is not the cross. The greatest act of surrender happened a day or so before, in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus said these words, prayed these words in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, the cup of dying on the cross. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had his own will, just like we all have our own will. And he had to place it on the altar and surrender it. Not my will, God, but your will be done. And this is all he is asking us to do, church, with our lives. Not just one day, one moment when we got saved, but every day he's asking us to say to him, Lord, today not my will but your will be done. Today I surrender to you. This moment I surrender to you. And I love the way it's translated. This passage is translated in the message where it says, but please, not what I want. What do you want, God? That, I pray that that would be our question today. Not what I want, God. I want this, this and this and you haven't done it for me yet. Why not, God? And God says, do you think about what I want for your life? Because what I want for your life is better than anything else you could have. So, why don't we ask God of our lives, God, what do you want? I give it to you so that you can do what you want with my life. So, today we're going to pray. And Julie's going to play and sing but I believe that God is calling us, as Judy shared about her experience on that massage table, even as Dan shared around communion right now, God wants to restore his image in us as children of God. But it starts with surrender. Saying, God, what do you want? God, what do you want? Not my will, God, but your will be done. And as Julie plays... We're going to pray, but I would ask you to respond. If God is speaking into your heart and you're saying, God, I've been trying to do it all in my own strength, making it happen, and I've forgotten the power of surrender. Because that's what it is for me. get so busy doing church life and living the pastor's life that I forget that I have to surrender to God daily, every moment, and ask Him, What do you want, God? What do you want, God? Not my will, but your will be done today. And if that's you in this place as Julie plays, I would ask you to respond to him. Now you might want to kneel in your seat. You might want to stand and raise your hands. Whatever it is you feel you need as an act of surrender, I'd invite you. You might want to come and kneel at the front here at the altar or stand at the front. It's between you and God. But I just feel like God is calling us to a new level of surrender as a church. Maybe there's stuff in your life, anxieties, fears, addictions, all the bad stuff that's going on and you need to actually give it to God. To lay it on the altar and say, God, I've been trying to do this in my own strength, trying to work on these things in my own strength, but I give it to you, Holy Spirit. Because in your hands, you can make it into something more than I could ever do. So as Julie plays and sings, I'd invite you to respond in an act of surrender, to say, God, it's yours. God, it's yours. I surrender my life to you afresh today. I'm just going to pray. And as I pray, feel free to respond however you feel to, however you need to. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of surrender. That without surrender, there is never life. As you said, we need to give our lives to gain life. And today, Lord God, we make a fresh commitment to surrender to you. To lay our lives on that altar and allow your Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives a work of transformation, a work of change, a work where we become children of God and obey and trust you with everything we have. Lord God, this is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.